Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. This is Community Update on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Good morning, I'm John Hoffman. School City of Mishawaka leaders want voters to prepare for a big question on their May ballot. The district is asking voters to approve a renewal of the existing operating referendum. The operating referendum was originally passed in 2016 along with a capital referendum. This time around, the district is asking voters to continue funding the operating referendum at the same rate for the next eight years. District leaders say they don't want to scare voters by talking about what would have to be cut if the referendum doesn't pass. But the fact of the matter is that there would be difficult funding decisions to make. While this is a renewal of a current tax and not a new tax, the superintendent admits it's not an easy time to ask voters for approval. There you go. There is no typical day inside Shelly Sparrow's classroom. Can you tell him what its name is? Her name is Maggie. Today it's chickens. It's going to go forward. Okay. Tomorrow it's robots. Well, we've also been working on coding, right? Sparrow is the Project Lead the Way teacher at Mishawaka's Liberty Elementary School. Each of the district's six elementary schools hired a PLTW teacher and launched the introductory STEM education program a couple years ago using COVID emergency funding. This is kind of our science and computer science curriculum um, for the school. And so the kids come to me, and I have 21 classes, so it's uh, close to 500 kids. Mishawaka High School has had Project Lead the Way curriculum for several years. Almost there. District leaders say these new elementary experiences set the stage for kids to get this hands-on learning earlier. One of the biggest things I see, though, is um, I saw it with my own children that how do you know what career you want to go in? Well, how do you know you want to do that if you've never experienced it? So we do a lot of different things. Now put your finger on the colorful lights and move it back and forth so it blinks. There you go. Good job. Okay, on ready? the day we visited, students were playing with robots. If something doesn't work, remember we're talking about problem solving, right? Soon they will learn to code them. There are future projects planned on flight simulations, stop motion animation, and animals. So as a mom, as often as last night, my daughter's like, let me tell you what happened with my robot. Liberty Elementary School principal and mom, Rebecca Cummings, has seen the difference the PLTW classes are making for the young learners here. Teachers throughout the building are also incorporating PLTW topics into what they're already doing in the classroom. That interest that it has sparked in some of these kids, I can just see they light up about it and they can't wait to participate. The PLTW program here at Liberty and the other elementary schools in Mishawaka is one of the programs on the line when voters go to the polls in May. So what we're asking for is a, re a renewal of the referendum, the operating referendum that was passed in 2016. School City of Mishawaka Superintendent Theodore Stevens met with us at the WSBT studios to talk about what's at stake. It's our job and my job uh, to try to get the information out as much as possible uh, to the voters of School City of Mishawaka as to why we need uh, this operating referendum to be able to serve the kids and the community of uh, School City of Mishawaka. Stevens says the referendum brings in about $2.7 million a year. He says the money will be used 
used primarily for people. The PLTW teachers like Sparrow, some social workers, instructional coaches, and technology staff. And the district is hoping to add a school resource officer in each elementary building. We want to position ourselves uh, to be sort of that premier school corporation that, that draws students in uh, and families to come to our school. And this is one way, or our schools, and this is one way that we can uh, believe we can do that. Ultimately, it will be up to voters. And then right there, believe it or not, in the meantime, Sparrow will continue her work of getting kids engaged in whatever it is that interests them. Stevens says if approved, the tax rate for residents will stay the same. That's because it's a renewal of the existing operating referendum that was approved back in 2016. A political action committee will start work this month aimed at convincing voters to vote yes. Now, it is still early, but at this point, there is no organized opposition to the referendum. WSBT 22's Kristen Bean reports voters living in the Mishawaka School District will decide when they vote in the May 2nd primary elections. According to South Bend City Clerk Dawn Jones, her office has the ability to accept or reject any filings for the city's Common Council agenda. Whether that's true is at the heart of a dispute between council members over the Repertory Justice for African Americans resolution. The resolution was not supposed to be on Monday's South Bend City Council agenda. However, it wound up on the original agenda after the city clerk approved the resolution before it was later removed. And the city clerk's office is the one who creates the agenda, although the Common Council ultimately approves it. The Repertory Justice resolution was not supposed to be on the agenda at all, but made its way on there after the city clerk approved it. According to the South Bend City Clerk, her office has the ability to accept or reject any filings for the Common Council's agenda. This is at the heart of the dispute between council members over the Reparatory Justice for African Americans resolution. Council members also claim any filings must follow the proper procedures to the letter. They didn't want it on the agenda because it didn't have a cover letter. So I took it off the agenda. So going back and rereading chapter two, it says the city clerk can accept it. And so that's, that's what I based it on and I put it back on because it was, um, uh, it was public information. On December 14th, Councilman Henry Davis Jr. filed the resolution to the Common Council. But Council President Sharon McBride says during last week's agenda meeting, it was clear this bill should not be on the agenda for Monday's meeting. He filed the bill incorrectly. The clerk should not have received that information. And with any council person, if it's not filed properly by statute and by law, I will reject it and do my fiduciary duty as the president to make sure that the council is functioning um, at its full level of, of what we should be doing. Councilman Davis expressed his disappointment and told WSBT this rule has never been an issue in the 14 years he's been on the council. Moving forward, I, I would make sure that everything is intact. Even though it says that the city clerk can accept it, I would still make sure. Any bill that comes before us deserves to be heard. This one is a, a, a great bill to come before us, but it definitely needs more uh, conversation, communication, and more dialogue to make it a, a good bill. Council President McBride says there needs to be more conversation regarding this bill. The resolution for reparatory justice is now scheduled to be discussed at the January 23rd Common Council meeting. WSBT 22's Ashley Dagger reporting. One local school district is making changes to ensure students can get to the classroom. Edwardsburg schools had to close or go online four times before the holiday break because it did not have enough bus drivers. 
It was only a few short weeks ago the district didn't have anyone to temporarily fill those spots. But now the district is working with the transportation union and an outside organization to create more options. Edwardsburg Public Schools buses 12 to 1300 students a day. With 15 to 20 bus drivers, it was in a tight spot last month when illnesses caused some bus drivers to stay home. Superintendent Jim Knoll says the callouts caused the district to either close down or go remote a handful of times leading into the break. But the district is back for the second half of the school year with a plan. We just recently met with our transportation union and came up with a new pay scale that matches most of the districts around us. So we're very competitive again. In addition to that, we met with a private organization, driver organization, and have a couple of backup drivers on call when we need them. Knowles says these changes have already gotten the district out of the hole it was in, with at least two extra drivers on call from the company First Student Transportation, and now a sudden interest from potential drivers in the community. It certainly takes stress off, but I think it gives parents a peace of mind that they're Again, have, we'll ha won't have to worry about the next day and having their student home or their son or daughter home uh, and have to take care of them because we don't have bus drivers. While he's relieved there's a new backup plan in place, he says it's still important to hire more drivers to provide more of a cushion. We're still working on getting bus drivers in. Flu, influenza, other illnesses after COVID, you just don't know how the local health department's going to react to these things, and you just don't know how, what's going to come out next. So I'd take as many bus drivers as I could get and not worry about a cap right now. <laughs> the starting pay has increased from just over $16 an hour to just more than $22. Experienced drivers can make up to $26.82. WSBT 22's Ann Larie reporting. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, and local doctors are reminding women to get back on track with their screenings. The pandemic triggered substantial disruptions to health care. We were already having a hard time getting people to the doctor routinely, and then all routine things stopped. And so because of that, we're, we then fell even further behind the eight ball in terms of screening for cancers. According to the CDC, screenings for breast, colorectal, and cervical cancers dropped more than 80% during the early months of the pandemic. And experts say there could be consequences to that pause. I'm expecting it, you know, the lapse in care, and not so much that the pap smears, you know, the screenings are necessarily gonna come back cancer, but that there's gonna be changes that are gonna need treatment. Cervical cancer is treatable, but it's not like many other cancers. It's sneaky. It doesn't necessarily cause pain. It doesn't cause us to feel bad, so we don't even pay attention. Mm -hmm. That's the scary part. Early stage, there are generally no signs or symptoms. It doesn't have symptoms until it's very advanced. And so the way to prevent it and to catch it early is to make sure that women are showing up to their doctor's offices and getting pap smears. A pap test looks for cancer or precancerous cells on your cervix and HPV, human papillomavirus, the main cause of cervical cancer. HPV is very prevalent. And that basically means that if you've ever had an intercourse with anyone who's ever had intercourse with anyone else, more than likely, you've been exposed to human papillomavirus. So it's very, very prevalent. Now, typically, the immune system clears human papillomavirus. But when it doesn't, human papillomavirus can then cause precancerous cells that eventually become a cancer. And advanced cervical cancer is much more serious. Women can present with abnormal bleeding, 
um, bleeding with intercourse, bleeding in between periods. When it's really advanced, oftentimes women can present with pelvic pain, leg swelling, back pain, or even shortness of breath if it has metastasized or spread to the lungs. It's real and that it can be treated before it even gets to cancer. And so that's really my role here um, is to come in, have your exam, have your screening so that we can prevent it from even, if possible, ever happening um, because it's very treatable and no one wants to hear that scary diagnosis of cervical cancer. We can save lives, we can prevent so many deaths if we can get people just to show up to the doctor. The general guideline is that women begin those screenings at 21 and until the age of 65. There is also evidence that links smoking to a higher risk of HPV and HPV causes other cancers as well. There is a vaccine that's 99% effective. It's routinely given to boys and girls around 11 or 12 up to age 26. WSBT 22's Jennifer Copeland reporting. After years of friction with customers, John Deere is allowing farmers to repair their own equipment. This after the company signed an agreement with the American Farm Bureau Federation following years of discussions and litigation. It's been a long time since farmers were really able to tinker with their John Deere's and some in Michiana are telling me that it's going to save them time and money. The agreement with the American Farm Bureau Federation allows farmers and ranchers with John Deere equipment to get access to diagnostic and repair codes, manuals, and product guides. Following the announcement, a John Deere senior vice president said, quote, This agreement reaffirms the longstanding commitment Deere has made to ensure our customers have the diagnostic tools and information they need to make many repairs on their machines. So these are all trouble codes that could be in here, and these are some that were active on it. Farmers like Kent Walker deal with the complex farming equipment every day, and they figure out how to fix almost anything on their property, except the John Deere technology has put them in a bind. When a tech is available, they will come out, but it could be two to three to four days before a tech is actually available, and that's the time that we can't lose. Other farmers, like David Schrock, says he tends to keep newer machines on warranty so they won't have as many service issues. The rate we were going, that life of machinery was actually going down and you would find them quicker in a boneyard than you would have like 40, 50 years ago because when you can't fix it yourself anymore or just even the electronic components are very difficult. Walker and Schrock are looking forward to servicing their own equipment and while that won't happen until about spring, Walker says it's been a long time coming. I guess it's one of those things where it's too bad it had to go to where it had to be in court to have the right to work on our own equipment and not jeopardize the warranties on equipment and believe in the customers that John Deere has out here. It's important that we are trusted. Schrock and Walker will both be able to hire a technician on their farms if they can find one, and they're still going to have to download the John Deere software, although it's still going to make their lives a lot easier. WSBT 22's Erica Finke reporting. Views and opinions expressed are those of the individual speaking and do not necessarily reflect the views of WSBT Radio, its staff, or management. Join us next week for Community Update on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT.
Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 